Hello, 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 and welcome to episode 23 of NG Meets. And as we are in election week, this is a bit of an election special. I sat down with uh, Matt Turner, who is former editor of uh, Evolve Politics, an online media site, as well as a political communicator and uh, involved in Labour's campaign in Peterborough in the general election. Also a former student at Nottingham University. So I had a chat with Matt. We talked about the election, how it's going. Um, Matt was one of the few people who predicted that we'd end up with a hung parliament in 2017, when obviously many people thought Theresa May was going to head to a huge majority. The predictions, of course, are the same for Boris Johnson, although Labour don't seem at this moment in time to be closing the gap in the same way they did back then. Uh, but we had a chat about his thoughts on the election, how it's been run, the obviously Brexit and the impact on that's had on poisoning politics and where that might lead. And also we had a chat about the media. Uh, we talked about Evolve and how they broke into media, the sort of fight back that came against these online left-leaning publications like Evolve. Uh, we also talked about just the sort of changing methods, changing attitudes, trust in politics. And it's been interesting, and it's interesting, this was a couple of weeks ago, but obviously since then we've seen uh, goings on, such as uh, this recent incidents in what happened with the hospital in Leeds, where we're seeing people claiming that the picture of the young boy was fake. We saw the fake news about um, the activists supposedly punching uh, a member of Matt Hancock's team, and it, of course, turned out with video it's not to be true, but how quickly the supposedly... Or professional media were in spreading that rumour. So it's an interesting chat. Um, obviously, I say this was a record before any of that happened. Um, I did ask Matt at the end of the episode to make a prediction for this election. This, as again, was made at that time. So you can find out what his prediction was if you have a listen. Um, but he did say he will be putting his predictions, more up-to-date predictions, on his Twitter account. So it's well worth keeping an eye on that. Uh, he's very astute commentator so it was great to chat to Matt it's such a strange time in politics obviously this is like the third general election since 2015 and of course we also had a um uh, a referendum which is at the heart of all of this so interesting chat um previously sort of politically wise we had uh Greg Marshall who is the candidate for Labour in Broxtow he was a guest on that was episode four of ng meet so that was a couple of years back uh, so it was so that's one worth checking out obviously I think a lot's changed since then and uh, other than that really it's been more sort of we've had obviously another map turner on from pedals and obviously cycling and the environment we've had members of uh, extinct rebellion including olympic gold medal winner etienne stott and uh, extinction rebellion nottingham sam uh, Harris, who is also a member of the Labour Party on, so they're worth checking out. Um, I do make it clear in this episode that both myself and Matt obviously are Labour supporters, so it comes at it from that angle, although we do address uh, issues in relating to the anti-Semitism uh, within the Labour Party and the issues around the Labour Party's Brexit policy. They come up in the sort of second half of this episode, so hopefully you'll find this an interesting chat. Oh, please make sure you go down and vote on Thursday. Whichever party it is you vote for, exercise your right to vote. And, uh, well, 
by the time the next episode comes up, we'll know who is going to be, or hopefully know who is going to be in charge of this country. So thanks for joining us. Uh, quickly, as I said, if you want to check out Matt, you can find him on Twitter at MattTurner4L for Lima. So check him out there and we'll see what his predictions are as the day moves in closer. But for now, this is NG Meets episode 23 with Matt Turner. Fairly drab Saturday morning with uh, Matt Turner, who is a political commentator and former editor of Evolve, which is sort of an, it's an online political uh, news organisation. I guess yeah. it's the best description. But thanks for joining me. Oh, my pleasure. And early. My pleasure. Uh, obviously, it's a busy time for yeah. for you being that uh, we're in the midst of a an election campaign. Yeah. So it's it's nice that you've been able to take a, an hour out. Sit lovely break, there. lovely break. Yeah, and we can have a chat about this and absolute mess of a yeah. <laughs> snap election that's yeah. been thrown on us. Yeah, and um, it's probably only right, I think, at the beginning that we are pretty honest and I mean, admit that we're both Labour yeah. supporters and both supporters of uh, Jeremy Corbyn. Yeah, I know my, I myself I previously was a Green Party member. Okay, I yeah. actually moved to Labour basically because of. Corbyn becoming leader. Yeah. Um, I went well we actually live streamed a couple of his events in Nottingham in that first uh, campaign, which was remarkable because it went from a small little event at a little art gallery the first time he came when he was yeah. kind of announcing he was running and he, he was kind of put in, wasn't he, as a token almost. Yeah, it's just, then, it's one of those things where I was I was a Labour Party member prior to Corbyn, but I wasn't a very um enthusiastic no. one. So, you know, I'd, I'd kind of put the X in the box, but I'd hold my nose while I was doing it. Um, and that really changed when Jeremy Corbyn came yeah. around and I really wanted to kind of throw myself into it. So I think that kind of first leadership campaign in 2015 was quite kind of consequential. Yeah, and it was a remarkable movement that grew. I'd say the first event he did, there was probably 50 people down at a place called City Arts. Yeah. Most, you know, obviously sort of core, I guess, socialist supporters. By the time he came back a couple of months later, he was up at the Albert Hall mm. and there were like 300 people outside that he had to go and speak to because they couldn't get in. Yeah. And so, I mean, we saw that across the country. And I, yeah. Yeah, I no, I mean, I can testify how the atmosphere at the university changed. Yeah. Kind of prior to the summer in the election when Miliband lost. Kind of leaving uni, going home for the summer, coming back to the University of Nottingham campus in September. Yeah. Everybody just seemed a little bit more politicised, which I found really interesting and really encouraging as well. It has. The, I mean, that, I think the biggest take from it has been the sort of political awakening we've seen among younger people and played such a big role in what happened in 2017. Yeah. Election. Yeah, uh, you know, absolutely. Um, the youth turnout in 2017 was incredible. Obviously, kind of coming up to December 12th now, it's important that it stays about the same, potentially a little bit less. Yeah. I, th I think that's kind of what everybody's expecting. Um, but, you know, people need to make sure that their voice is heard because 
the over 65s will certainly be turning out in their droves, whether it be a postal vote or whatever. Yeah, and obviously the impacts of this election in terms of, you know, not just Brexit, which is going to have a massive impact on the young people, especially going forward, Yeah. but also environmental issues and obviously welfare, education, university, university teams, things like that. Yeah, no, definitely. I think, you know, this election could be considered a kind of once in a generation opportunity to kind of bring back that opportunity, that investment and, you know, wealth to cities like Nottingham, you know, a lot of towns, a lot of cities, basically above the M25, which have been left behind for for decades now. But, and you're obviously uh, campaigning, is that in relation to a specific um, seat? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm currently um, working down in Peterborough for the for the election campaign there, um, and, and that's been really encouraging so far. Obviously, they only had a by election yeah. in June, so I think you know there might be a little bit of voter fatigue, but it's it's, it's all looking encouraging. It's all looking good, and we're waging, um, you know, an incredibly well-oiled campaign. I would say it does, and I think that's. One of the things that you see, particularly obviously with the Labour campaign and it's the people that get that actually get out there, you know, yeah. they may not get the media attention in the same way, certainly not as positive. Yeah. And they don't have the, the same kind of financial backing, but they definitely have the people on the ground. Yeah, no, the, I remember yeah. the people power in the kind of June by-election in Peterborough being absolutely incredible. Um, and a lot of people credit that as, you know, why we want essentially the amount of people they got out there, the amount of people they got knocking doors was just unrivaled compared to the other parties. Yeah, and that, I mean, that was a, a fascinating... I, mean, I don't think I've ever seen a by-election as focused and as intensely monitored as that one because obviously it came about through, um, you know, controversial situation regarding the previous MP. Oh, yes. Yes. But then it was also, you know, it was... Almost, it was the Brexit party by election. You know, yeah. they were being penciled in as this was the moment you were going to see that Brexit was going to decimate the Labour Party. Our, the Brexit party were going to be this huge force, and they made a big impact in it. There's no doubt. Yeah. But obviously, very few. I think there was very few people outside of the area that were, that thought Labour were going to hold on to that. No. Obviously. Yeah. D- definitely. Well, I, I think that's why they brought me back. To be honest, because I had Labour at seven to one. On, uh, okay. on, on, on Skybet. Um, yeah, I, I, I know Peaceborough relatively well simply because I did work for the former MP who was who was convicted of perverting the course of justice, Fiona Onasanya. So I know that the by-election almost became a bit of a circus. You know, every party wanted to get involved. They were busting in Nigel Farage yeah. every day. Um, and, you know, the world was watching. And despite the poll showings, Labour still managed to retain the seat despite the controversy as well um so i think that's an incredibly positive sign moving forwards to december 12th definitely and it will i think it was huge in terms of um had they lost that i think that would have led to a lot of or even more than we've already seen um infighting in labor within labor you could see certain mps expecting a defeat we're already getting the knives out i think so yeah you know it, it was going to be used as a as a way to potentially launch another leadership challenge on Corbyn, who obviously has come on a constant stick for Brexit, especially 
in the last couple of years. You know, he's, he's had non-stop stick throughout his leadership, but Brexit has become the sort of thing to, a, you know, the, the target attack. Absolutely, yeah. No, I, I, I totally agree. Um, I think that's probably a likely scenario. You know, if Labour were to lose the Peterborough by-election, it would have been another excuse to try and topple the leadership. But not only that, I think people credit Boris Johnson with kind of blunting the Brexit party's sword by getting them to stand down in all yeah. of these seats. But I think what actually blunted the Brexit party's sword is the fact that they couldn't win in Peterborough, a seat which voted to leave by 61%, you know, an insurgent campaign, a populist campaign. They brought in all the big guns and they still couldn't do it. And I think that said a lot about their capability to win seats up and down the country yeah. to ordinary voters. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, the Brexit party is one person. Yeah. And that's entirely what they... I mean, there's a, they're not even really a party, are they? They're, not, they're yeah. a corporation. Yeah. But they are, they are much like UKIP were, and, you know, who managed to have a massive... Despite, you know, only ever having an MPs by people crossing over, really. Yeah. Managed to have a massive influence on yeah. politics, but yeah, the Brexit party is Nigel Farage, isn't it? Mm. Which is, I think, why he's not stood because he's going around. He needs to go around to be yeah. a figurehead, but also him losing would be devastating for the party. I think. Yeah. I think um, so. so, in the midst of this, obviously, there was the Evolve. Uh, yeah. Uh, launched when did it actually launch as a um it, it launched as a website um in 2015 around the time that corbyn won the original no. labor leadership contest um, I, I jumped on board as a writer um maybe about six months to a year after that and then another year goes by and i am the editor which is which is absolutely fantastic um and that was you know during my third year at nottingham university so not only did we have the 2017 election and a website to manage that was outperforming all of our expectations but I was also doing my finals and my, oh, my wow. exams as well which was which was an incredibly busy time but it yeah. just means that I'm well prepared for this campaign as well yes yeah. and and you've you've stepped away from evolve yeah yeah I've, I've stepped away from media in general because yeah. that, that's kind of where I started I've moved moved more towards kind of political communications um, yeah just because I feel like I was best placed to kind of move into that after I, after I finished at Nottingham University. Um, but no, I look back really fondly on that campaign, especially the campaign that was waged in Nottingham as well, and just the kind of buzz around the city and the buzz around the country as well, especially in the kind of last couple of weeks before polling day in 2017. It was absolutely fantastic. You know, some of the, some of the statistics and some of the reach that this kind of really small startup left-leaning website got yeah it's absolutely incredible you know it, it like i said it was beyond all of our wildest expectations but no it was, it was an awesome time yeah and it was an interesting moment because it was kind of the evolve and i guess probably canary at a similar time yeah really broke into this sort of powerfully dominated media market which i don't think anybody saw coming you know we've you know, political websites and things have been around for a long time, but yeah. usually backed by, you know, powerful people such as, you know, like in America where you've got Bright, Bart or whatever. Yeah. But they, they sort of, you talk, I think the, the youthfulness, the energy behind them, and obviously um, they, they managed to, to sort of pick up what this movement was and spread the word on this young, growing left movement when 
the press, obviously, most of the me- main media didn't want to give it any yeah. shine as all. So it was incredible the way you broke through, and I think obviously it ended up with you, I think, actually becoming part of the press. Yeah, 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 well, yeah I, I was there for a short time, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, I, I didn't foresee being a part of the kind of Westminster lobby press pack while working for a yeah. politics, you know, we didn't think that we would garner so much attention and have such a wide kind of vast ranging readership that we would be able to state the case for that. So that was absolutely incredible. I mean, personally, I was only there for a few months, but they're still in possession of their lobby. Pass. Yeah. You know, they can kind of go in whenever they want, I presume. Um, but no, it was incredible. You know, it was, it was a people powered media outlet, all the writers, we're kind of doing it on a freelance part-time basis because they all had other jobs. You know, we yeah. had teachers, we had kind of care workers, um, nurses and doctors. and it, it was just incredible to bring all of these people together for the campaign and say, look, we know you can't write a lot, but anything you can do would be greatly appreciated because we're going to give it a really big push. And I think we just managed to kind of harness the viral quality of social media at that time, Facebook in particular. Obviously now the algorithms have changed, so there's less... There's slightly less viral capability, yeah. which, which is what served us so well in 2017. Um, and it was more like the accidental exposure of it on people's timelines. So we knew who the core readership was. We knew who was going to share the content. But what we were really interested in were their friends. And they don't necessarily have to click on the article. All they need to see is your snappy tabloid-esque headline yeah. and some kind of evocative image of some kind. And even if they're exposed to that, then that's absolutely fantastic for us and fantastic for the campaign. And uh, yeah, I, and I think we're seeing that the mainstream part of the parties as well have kind of picked up on that sort of DIY viral video type as we're seeing yeah. very controversially in some cases recently. The yeah. kind of videos, but it's the video you know with the big sort of header on the video. So even if you don't start the video, you still see this big in your face message. message. Yeah. And that's, I think that probably, I mean, obviously viral videos have been around a long time, but that, I think, I don't think anybody really realised the impact that was going to have in 2017, the the social media side of it. Of yeah. course, now it's becoming an issue in that it's been, now that they do know, it's being picked up on and the money's yeah. being thrown at it. And as you say, and that now Facebook have made it, so unless you do throw a lot of money at it, and, and I know this from what I do because Facebook's a, huge part of my platform for getting yeah. the show out there that um, all I'm ever getting is messages from Facebook telling me how I could get it shared to more people if I'm willing to spend this or this yeah and the days of being able to just appear on people's timelines yeah it's, it's really taken a hit over the past couple of years a kind of like organic reach which you can get yeah I mean it's, it's still doable but it has to be it has to be absolute gold basically whereas you could get away with as long as it was kind of viral worthy it would probably do okay. Yeah. But now it has to be absolute dynamite, basically, to, to have any chance of kind of getting into the kind of maybe six, seven figure reach territory, which is which kind of what we were doing regularly um, in 2017. Yeah. So. I think that's something that we've seen these videos recently. For example, the uh, there's the edited Keir Starmer video. Yeah. And I think there's a realisation in that sense that one of the best ways to get your stuff shared is to put something up that angers people and yeah. isn't necessarily right. That 
video probably got more shares from people saying this has been edited and it's fake yeah. than it ever did if it had just been a video of Keir Starmer's answer. Yeah, no, definitely. I, th I think that's the kind of transition that we've seen over the past couple of years where now, particularly the Conservative Party, are relying on the outrage of their opponents to get yeah. their message through. You know, and, and it's the same with the kind of accidental exposure of it. You know, some people are going to see you saying, oh, this is a doctored video, this is fake, but they're still going to watch the video. Yeah. You know, and um, that's something which, you know, I've learned myself over the last six months. You know, if, if, if you want to tackle it, you just don't share that stuff. Yeah. You, you just have to ignore it, but still so many people, which, you know, they're totally entitled to do, are sharing it, expressing their outrage. Yeah. But in the long run, is that beneficial looking at their social media stats now when their game was so poor two years ago? Probably not. No, I think the fact check as well was a key example oh, of that because a lot of people go. shared the messages and grumbled about it. But then, of course, as soon as the debate was over, they changed, they changed it, back. it back, which meant that your then your retweet looked like you were sharing a normal conservative a CCHQ message. Yeah, the the sort of misleading side of it had all been taken away. Yeah. So I mean, I shared something, but it was a screenshot. Yeah. So that stayed as it was. But there were a lot of people, and then there were people pointing this out. You're you're spreading their message, and they've changed it back. You now look like you're sharing a statement from CCHQ saying Jeremy Corbyn's a liar or something like that. People yeah. won't necessarily pay any attention to the bit you've put at the top of about how fake it all was. Yeah. And are you doing their work for them in a way? Yeah, no, you are. I think I think the conservative social media game has improved slightly yeah. with, with with stuff like that. The kind of viral capability, I think. The actual content is still as awful as ever. Um, but yeah. Blazonness to which they don't care about it. I'm, I mean, I saw the video of Gove when he was pulled up by Channel 4 on it. Yeah. And they've, they've gone very trumping in their attitude towards the media, I think, as well. Yeah. It's sort of, this is fake, you're coming in with an agenda. Yeah, I, th I think that was kind of the vote leave strategy. In, mm. in 2016, it was to lie, but then double down on it and just keep on doubling down on it until people forget about it and they stop taking a task on it and I think that kind of Dominic Cummings strategy is at the heart of what's going on at the moment with regards to kind of the disinformation that we're seeing on yeah. social media absolutely I do think and I think it's, it has we have got to a position now as well where it doesn't seem to matter yeah Pe most people just don't care there was a time when if you lied in parliament or you know on whatever you would be gone yeah. Or at least now it's, it seems part. People have. I think we've got to a point where people just go. Well, that's what they do. Yeah. Yeah. That's no, what politicians do. Whatever. Yeah. We'll just vote for who we're going to vote for anyway. It's just been normalised. Yeah. You know, in, in the eyes of the people. And the, for for a long time, but especially the last few years. Yeah. I mean, the the viciousness we've seen over the, the sort of split between Brexit and the way we've seen that split, not just through, left and right, but in within parties. Yeah. As played into it and obviously the media with you know calling judges traitors for enacting the law and things like that yeah it's it, it, quite it, scary <laughs> yeah it really is it really is bizarre I mean at, at Evolve Politics um, we were always quite honest about our editorial line like every other private news outlet has you know but we were just very honest about it yeah so you know of course of course we're in favour of social and economic justice and you know us saying that we don't have an anti-conservative bias. It's like the Sun saying that they don't have an anti-Corbyn bias. Yeah. But the thing is, the Sun do say that. And a lot of their 
writers and reporters saying, no, no, we're not biased. We're just telling the truth. Yes, you know. it's, it's... So you you mentioned, obviously, we talked about Evolve and how they, you know, the, the way they exploded and you ended up in the press pit or lobby yes. down in yeah. Westminster as one of the new media as they've been branded. Yeah. So how, what was the sort of reaction like to you sort of new guys from this new media turning up in your, what sort of, I guess, an old guard ring? Yeah, it was, I found it very intimidating. Um simply because I had no idea what to expect. Yeah. Um, it, it's one of those things where I think in that in that environment, a lot of the journalists who were there are so damn busy that they don't really notice when there's mm. when there's a new face. But the people who I did speak to were just very welcoming and, and respectful. I mean I don't know what the people who didn't speak to me thought of it. Um, I imagine a fair few people who'd been plying their trade in print for for decades were very skeptical of like this new online outlet suddenly gaining access to to the corridors of power but you know on on the whole i really enjoyed that experience um it was a really fun few months while it lasted yeah um and i almost wish i could have spent a little bit longer doing it because i didn't really settle in over those three months because i think it takes a while just to kind of get used to the you know just the intimidating nature of the yeah. entire place, really. Um, but no, yeah, I, I, I do wish I got to do it a little bit longer, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's an incredible, like you said, you know, when you started writing for this online news site, yeah. I imagine that was never in the wildest dreams that one day you would be, you know, part of the press no. at Westminster. No, absolutely not. I mean, the owners of Evolve Politics, you know, they were doing it in their spare time. As a student at Nottingham, I was doing it in my spare time, so... To suddenly have the spotlight on us was was incredible. You know, we were the media outlet, but other media outlets were doing stories about us. Yeah, it was really strange. You know, um, and we didn't expect to become the story. We just wanted to write the stories. But evolve, you know, was and still is the only new left, you could call it, media outlet to gain access to the parliamentary lobby mm-hmm. and, and to the House of Commons. Might be because some of the others haven't actually applied. Or don't want to, but we thought it was an important step. Yeah. So it's, and it, it it does offer to the outside world, I guess, an air of legitimacy to what you're doing, which is something. And obviously, as this new media, that's particularly left media, has grown. Yeah. It has also obviously put it into the target hairs of the old, yeah. and it has, there has been you know big attacks. I know, and we know the media make mistakes sometimes on purpose. Yeah. Sometimes, and they have pinned the tiniest corrections. But I've seen like whenever one of the news sites has made a mistake, there's it's been you know Twitter's called it shut them down, and you know, um, Canary in particular. Yeah. Who have made, I think, and this is a, it happens largely because of the need to get stuff out so quickly. Yeah. Stuff these days across the board doesn't get checked in the same way it would have done in the days when you had a day to put it out to print. Yeah. yeah. And we, but when can and have and Canary have made mistakes, mm. I'm sure Evolve probably have in time. Yeah. But the the anger that gets thrown at them and the way that's used to to try and sort of um illegitimize them as a media outlet has been very vicious. Yeah, I've I've always found that really interesting. Um 
simply because the kind of clarification and correction process for these sites is often a lot better than that in print media. Yeah. You know, these kind of sites are regulated um, by Impress, you know, a new kind of regulatory body, particularly for online media outlets. Um, you know, and if there's an error, it will be on the front page of the website for 24 hours. Yeah. Now, could you see The Sun doing that when they were talking about Jeremy Corbyn? No. Could you see The Telegraph doing it? No. So I think to a lot of critics, I would just say, you know, you need to get your own house in order before you start talking about ours. Yeah. But they don't like the new, they don't like change, they don't like the new bit. And they, I think it's also, it's the terrifying idea that this isn't just run by some rich person. Yeah. It's, it's, peop, it's people that shouldn't be getting, they don't think should be getting involved in this world. Mm. The, you know, the, norm, the normal person on the street type of thing. Yeah. Well, it's none of your business. We write it, you read it. Yeah. We tell you what to think. And that's, I think that's a common thing across media and politics to a degree that you don't want. There's just a lot of people don't want the average person thinking too much about things. No, no, <laughs> just, just yeah, listen no, to what agree. we say and accept it. Yeah, yeah, no, it is an interesting one. I think some of them are, are very skeptical of the kind of blend of activism and journalism and the idea of kind of grassroots activist citizen mm. journalism being seen as impartial news, but we never claim to be impartial no. whatsoever, you know, and, and that's, and that's, you know, you could call the Mail or the Sun activist news, but it's just activism for vested interests, the wealthy, the status quo, there's nothing grassroots about it, but you can't pretend that it doesn't take political angles no. or it doesn't campaign for a party one way or the other, I don't think. That's quite an interesting point, actually, because I recently read a um, column by Owen Jones. Yeah which was about the, the sort of attacks on uh, left-wing commentators like him and Ash. Yeah, uh, Sarka. Sarka. Yeah. So, all oh, these are activists masquerading as journalists. Yeah. And he came and he said, look, I don't, I'm a columnist or a commentator. I make that, it's made clear in my, what I write. I write opinion pieces. Yeah. So, but you look at the, the, some of these, like the Mail and that, they're, act, they're exactly the same, they're commentators, they're activists, but they're presenting as journalists, as like say, as if this is impartial news they're reporting. Yeah. He's making no bones about that this is his personal opinion. Yeah. They are masquerading as printing impartial news when they're doing exactly the same thing. No, they are act, yeah. it's activist journalism. No, definitely. Like Owen Owen Jones's articles and opinions go in the comment section yeah. where they belong. The Daily Mail's opinions and comment pieces are probably on the front page. Oh, yeah, they masquerade are. Yeah. As, as, a, as a kind of actual, factual, quote-unquote, news report. So for Owen Jones to be getting this stick when, you know, he's far more transparent and abiding by, you know, decent practice than, than the right-wing newspapers, to me, is absurd. seems to me that this campaign has become uh, particularly on the right more about attacking the opponents than talking about what they're going to do this, yeah 
and uh, obviously all with the caveat that everything is somewhat overshadowed by Brexit. Yeah, yeah, I suppose there's there's always that risk when you're dealing with somebody like Boris Johnson because you feel like you should be attacking him on his personal flaws, of which there are many. Yep. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's not a man who can be trusted and he's a man who's said some very problematic things over the years, but you can't let that take away from the vision that you're offering because that is why Labour did so well in 2017. You know, people liked the vision, people liked the policies, people liked the movement. So as much as we should be pointing out Boris Johnson's flaws, I think the manifesto that's been released should we know we should be focusing all of our energy on getting that message out as opposed to saying why they shouldn't pick Johnson we should be saying this is why you yeah. should pick Corbyn um, and, and that positive message is something that I think really needs to be pushed in the weeks coming up to December 12th it is and unfortunately though I do feel like a positive message within politics is more difficult to get people to listen to yeah. than a negative again probably buys back into this trust in in the British Parliament as, as a whole is probably as low as I've ever known it absolutely it's yeah. as I say part, um, the media have pushed this idea that we can't trust politicians yeah um, they've done their fair share of, to help that along the way obviously yeah and that's going back years from the you know Nick Clegg's um, student loans right yeah. back to you know Labour's things with the post office and PFI and things like that in the in the sort of late 90s early 90s yeah. and obviously the Tories anytime they're in so <laughs> but it is def- but I think and it's like I think you can pinpoint a lot of this back to the referendum and onwards yeah um, obviously the referendum was vicious full of lies on both sides I think mm. it's fair to say but clearly you know we've seen you know investigations into vote leaves actions mm. but since then obviously this and as a whole the country we've become it's become a hot just a split country you there's no longer are you it doesn't feel anymore like are you left are you right are you central it's are you leave or are you remain yeah and that feels like the split between people and parliament yeah no definitely it's to me that's very dangerous territory yeah um i think trust in our political and media institutions, definitely media as well, is at an all-time low, which is why people were screaming for an alternative, whether that be in the form of the Leave campaign or Donald Trump, or to an extent Jeremy Corbyn in 2017, or all of these new media outlets that are popping up in the form of maybe your Breitbart for your right-wingers or your Canary for your left-wingers. People are seeking those alternatives. But I think now, after years of doing so, and seeing that not an awful lot has changed, they're kind of the kind of voter fatigue is setting in again. Yeah. People have put so much energy into trying to change things over the last few years. And as things stand, not an awful lot has changed. It's just, just about keeping people's morale and keeping people's hopes alive and burning. Yeah. Um, which, which I think is the main challenge lying ahead for particularly Corbyn and the Labour Party. You know, how do you keep that enthusiasm going? You know, it's been three years and we got so close. In 2017, I think if you look at the math in marginal seats, another 2,000 votes or so, 2,000, 2,500, go the other way, and Jeremy Corbyn's prime minister. Yeah. You know, um, it's about keeping that enthusiasm alive, essentially. It is. And then, you know, when you add in, if you include the referendum, since 2015, this is now the fourth major election. 
yeah. that's not including, you know, European and local elections, which turnout is a fraction of. Yeah. But we obviously we had twenty fifteen with Cameron winning the majority. The referendum in sixteen, another general election in seventeen, and now we're having another one in nineteen. So there's yeah. been four in five years or whatever that is. Four yeah. in, when you put it like that. 2018 was a great year. Yeah. You know. <laughs> um, no, I don't think anything happened. No. Literally. Stand still. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where, you know, I'm I'm kind of politics through and through. And even I am so tired of it. So I do honestly hate to think how your average voter on the street feels about what's going on. Yeah. It, must, it must be so kind of demoralising and you must be so dis- disillusioned with it all. Because even your most hardened political activists will be disillusioned by this stuff. You know, the amount... Just the amount of precarity and insecurity, yeah, and election after election after election. Yeah, when's this is it? How many people are sitting there thinking, "Well, I'm going to be doing this again in 2021"? Well, or it wouldn't surprise yeah. me. You know, a right whole parliament is is definitely on the cards. It's it's not the only outcome, obviously, but uh, you know, it's it's not unlikely at all, according to the bookmakers, at least, um, and kind of kind of what you hear on the ground. Um, you think that Labour will be gaining a bit of ground and it's squeezing a bit and we're going back to the old two-party vote. Yeah. And then if that does happen, then a home parliament is incredibly likely. You know, there's probably going to be a bit more gridlock with regards to Brexit. Um, obviously, it all depends on the numbers, but it really wouldn't surprise me to see an election in next year or 2021 mm. or 2022. So, yeah. brace yourselves, guys. Yeah, <laughs> and it's interesting you say talk there because... I think that's one of the interesting things. Obviously, the polls, um, from a Labour point of view, have not been great. Yeah. Even still, are not particularly. I've not obviously we've not seen polls in relation to the the um, question time leaders event last night. Yeah. Um, but it does, and this happened in twenty seventeen as well. The closer we got to the election, the more people that said they were not going to vote for the parties they'd voted for moved back towards those parties. Mm. So we saw that, you know, the Lib Dems were doing well in the polls, but then people moved back to Labour as it got closer and closer to the election and they became more and more aware that only two parties really had a shout. Yeah. Um, the, I guess the outlier in this election is obviously the Brexit party running only in marginal Labour seats. Yeah. And I was looking at an article today which was talking about uh, I think it was Grimsby North as a seat, which is not that far from us. Yeah. Where the fear is, based on the polls at the moment, that the Brexit Party are biting into the Labour share as opposed to the Conservative share. Yeah. On a very close seat that looks like it could well give that seat back or to the Tory party. Yeah. And if that's repeated, then there's potential there where we're going to see arguably the biggest majority since sort of Blair. Yeah, I, I think there's a few things there, obviously. It'll depend, it, you know, each seat will be completely different with regards to who the Brexit party vote eats into. Yeah. Obviously, if you look at the Peterborough by-election, which also isn't too far from, from no, here, just the, the Brexit party and the Tory vote split and Labour squeaked through. You know, the Tories lost 23% of their vote compared yeah. to 2017 in, in, in that election. But obviously, you kind of go up the road to Grimsby and it appears they're eating more into the Labour vote. But I think the general rule that pollsters say is for every one Labour leader the Brexit party takes, they also take three Conservative voters. Obviously, that might be the other way around in Grimsby. Who knows? Yeah. You know, local constituency polling 
is very very difficult yes. and, and obviously that that was off the back of a poll which they did in Great Grimsby um, you know I think I think the Labour candidate there Melanie on will be working very hard to remind the constituents that she did end up backing the deal she ended yeah. up backing Boris she was one of the few MPs who was happy to back Boris Johnson's deal one of the few Labour MPs and I'm sure she'll be reminding constituents of that in the coming weeks um, with regards to like the national polls I think at this time in the campaign in 2017 the gap was wider so yeah it's not great but it's not insurmountable yeah um i think i mean i can't i can't speak for every polling company but i know that one in particular Cantar, for example their their weightings on estimated turnout has been obscene to say the least you know they're estimating over 65 turnout at 90 percent and they're estimating 18 to 25 turnout at 31 percent both of these things have not happened for decades. Yeah. So you know these these are polls which are weighted. Not you know it, they're not contriving to make the majority look bigger, but I just think there's some you know methodological issues, particularly when you kind of hear what's going on, on the doorstep and on the ground, the gap doesn't seem as wide as some of the polling companies would suggest. No, and I think I mean the things that having spoken to. Uh, my local candidate, Greg, um, and the message again there as well is the, that the, while it, yeah, obviously Brexit's a huge part, that isn't coming up as much on the doorstep as it's necessarily being mm. suggested. Yeah. The people are talking about the NHS, crime is a big thing, which arguably is an issue for Labour because despite the fact that the Tories are the ones that have made all the cuts, Labour have never really sort of been trusted in the same way on crime in the way you know Labour would always generally hold the trust on the NHS yeah. the Tories were always the sort of law and order yeah party and yeah. that's and obviously crime is a you know we've seen you know the things we've seen happening in London and outside and you know across the country yeah. and the, because of the cuts the, the lack of response to that is making that a big issue again the NHS as always is a huge yeah. Well, I think I think Queen's Medical Centre was on black alert. Yeah. The um, weekend, I, th- I think it was the first hospital to call it, and it seems to call it like a week earlier every year. So I was I was I was actually doing an article on it a couple of years ago, and I looked back at that, and they called black alert, but it was kind of the end of November instead of the middle of November yeah. or the start of November, and it just seems to be like creeping up a week each year. Um, yeah, it's 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 one of those things where the media do try and frame it as a Brexit election. But the reality is that this is a national election on housing, the NHS, crime, schools. And I think more airtime really needs to be given to that. I mean, I, th- I, think, I think it's slowly changing because the kind of latest poll on kind of what's most important to you in this election, the NHS is actually overtaking Brexit now. Yeah. So the NHS is top. So that kind of domestic policy agenda is cutting through this kind of Brexit quagmire, which does make me quite optimistic, to be honest, because the kind of Labour domestic policy is, you know, far stronger than anything the Conservatives have to offer, even on law and order, yeah. believe it or not, which 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 is bizarre. But um yeah. <laughs> well they've not even released a manifesto yet, have they? No, no, but you, you just you just know that they won't be able to match no. what ma- ma- well, you, match what's being offered. The reaction to the Labour one 
tells you this is not going to be a manifesto of anything getting better. I suspect it's going to be a manifesto that's one page that just says, get Brexit done on it, yeah. based on the things I've seen in the debates and things. Yeah, no, it um, certainly wouldn't surprise One me. issue to me that I don't feel has been getting anywhere near enough attention, and but although I think Channel 4 have announced they're going to do an event, a debate on it, is obviously arguably an even bigger issue than Brexit, and that's climate. Yeah. The climate. And, I mean, one of my minor disappointments with with Labour manifesto was the removal of the pledge to get carbon neutral by 2030. Yeah. I'm sure they all look, you know, there are good things in there. Yeah. But I, and I know that's a difficult and probably improbable actual target, but yeah. I think it was important to have that as a target. Yeah. yeah um, I, I think it should have been... But again, yeah. it's, it feels like an issue that's not, you know, I... I I'd argue, ongoing. That's I mean that is the issue of our generation. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you know, the, the the future of the planet is literally at yeah. stake. I think, I think it would have been good to include it as a target, but there should have been because you know they they really shouldn't be making promises they can't keep. So yeah, it should have been a target, target yeah. and they should have promised to try and achieve that because then they're covered. Yeah. If they don't, because that's going to be a very arduous and difficult thing to do, but um. Yeah, I really think it should be getting more airtime in this election. I mean, if you look at all the kind of extinction rebellion protests which yeah. are going on up and down the country, you know, all the all the youth strikes for climate, where you know kids are kind of taking the day off school to protest outside their town halls, you know, the kind of awakening of of that generation in particular has been really encouraging to see. But I don't feel like, besides you know the media emphasis on the strike action in London, I don't think it's been given. The attention that it deserves. No. Um, I, th- I think generally the kind of Labour manifesto on climate, you know, you have your kind of green industrial revolution, which is focused on, you know, transitioning to a green economy and keeping those good unionised jobs as well. You know, those are the kind of policies that we need to be talking about to, yeah. to, to young voters and those who are genuinely concerned about what's going to happen in the kind of decades to come. Yeah. And I think one of the issues there, Labour, have, of course, is. Um, one obviously being a lot a, a union backed party. Um, obviously, some of the unions, GMB in particular, are representing a lot of people within the um, energy industries that are at risk in a green. As we as we green the you know improve the climate and improve the renewable energy, and I think they were the ones that sort of fought back against these pledges yeah. because they're looking, you know, and I understand they're looking out for their workers, but they should yeah. be looking at it from a moving these work, looking at how to move these workers into the, like yeah. I said, this, the idea behind this green energy and, you know, the green deal yeah. and same with the, the excellent one, I think that was put forward by the new uh, members in America. Yeah. Um, staggering that anyone could even put that forward in that country, to be honest, but... <laughs> But that's the idea is not to just get rid of these people, which is what obviously decimated places like Nottingham in the 80s when the coal mines all went. Yeah. But it's about moving and retraining these people. And I know, again, change scares people. Yeah. And there'll be a lot of people in those industries thinking, well, I'm too old to to retrain for something. Yeah. But I don't know. And again, the trouble with the, the environment is it's short politics is short-termism. Yeah. Most, most things are about... I can stay in for Quick the next games. five years. Yeah. It's not about what's going to happen in 30 years. No. So it's a 
this that's it they don't they don't long term goals is difficult to push through in yeah no definitely it but it, it, it's why it's why I think any government especially in these kind of precarious uh, political times needs it needs a whopping majority to be able to afford to put that long term mm-hmm. vision across because everybody's so concerned about whether there's going to be an election next year well that yeah you know they're, 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 they're just not planning an agenda for five years for ten years you know building a new consensus for the next few decades no nobody's able to think about that at the moment because yeah. there'll probably be another election I see we're yeah. going to have to start doing yearly manifestos aren't we yeah. I mean, hopefully we'll get we'll move forward and eventually things might start to to even out and start to get to a little bit back to normality yeah um again that i guess that's going to depend on the country is never going to move forward until brexit is resolved yeah uh, one way or another yeah um well how do you think that's going to and i know that oh, seems like wow. an impossible prediction but yeah. i think you're um i was sort of a i, w- I voted remain but lot at the time i would say largely I voted Remain in a, I just want someone to keep checks on the Tory party. Yeah. At the time, obviously, I had a majority, small, but a majority under Cameron. I think there was very little expectation the referendum was going to go the way it went, even, and one of the reasons for this mess is that it wasn't, even in the party itself, I think the Tory party itself never anticipated no. it going that way. Um, and I, But I think you, you spoke quite a bit about leave from a from a left point of view yeah 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 i mean i i, I voted to leave in in 2016 um i listened very intently to the remain and reform argument one which i actually agree with on on face value um if i thought the european union could be reformed in that way then i would have voted stay but i just think structurally politically legally it's not set up in a way that is conducive to kind of progressive change. You know, if you look at the way they've treated Greece, for example, um, that that was that was a real turning point for me. It seems like Germany is to the rest of the EU what London is to the rest of the okay. UK. Okay, yeah. If, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think and, I know. And you know, w- w- whether it's whether it's Britain or or the European Union, that's not something which I could really agree with or abide by. Um, that being said, obviously, I don't endorse or support. Um, you know Johnson's Brexit deal I think it's even worse than Theresa May's deal Um, if we got put to a second referendum and there was a Labour deal on offer that protected jobs and living standards and wasn't going to make people poorer then I would support it interesting I think then that and there's where we've got the issue is again and this was part of the problem what did no one know knew what the deal was going to be what we were waiting for the term um, leave is so multifaceted. Yeah, I mean, you know. per, from a personal point of view, I think having a referendum was a terrible idea on something so massive because I just don't think, even I myself as someone who followed it a lot, I mean, we did some, we did a series about it where we spoke to people. Okay. But I don't understand trade deals Yeah. and things like that. Why am I, that's why I'm voting people in that do. Yeah. This And it needed a lot more where you I, to break down something that's so such a huge part of this country and politics and built into the to vote that down as a yes or no I think was a has a shown was such a dangerous thing to do purely to try and protect his party. Yeah, well, no, I mean, yeah, it was an entirely you know politically motivated decision to hold a referendum. Um, I think it I think it 
would have had to have been held at some point. But uh, you know, then there needed to be so much more clarity on both what Leave and Remain entailed yeah. for the future of this country. And there wasn't. You know, it was either buzzwords, it was fear mongering, you know, there were people, you know, leave campaigners saying, Oh, you know, we're not talking about leaving the single market. Two years later, the narrative and the discourse has changed. Now they're all banging on about no deal. Yeah. You know, the kind of goalposts keep changing. It's the same for Remain parties. You know, the Liberal Democrats were asking for a second referendum and a people's vote for years. Labour adopts it and they move, they lurch further to exactly. the kind of revoke Article 50. So, you know, there's just this kind of split and it's getting wider and wider about what people actually want. And those yeah. demands from politicians are kind of drip feeding through the through the media as well um, to ordinary people, and it's influencing what they think about Brexit and what they think Brexit is. I think if you ask people in twenty sixteen, you know, does Brexit mean leaving without any kind of deal whatsoever or leaving on WTO terms? The the majority of leavers probably would have said no. Yeah, you know, because because they're not talking about that on the telly. You know, these these politicians who are campaigning to leave, but but now I think there there is an appetite for it, sadly. I think there's, I think an element of it is people just want it done. Yeah, it's just gone on and has brought Parliament to a standstill. Yeah, while there is other issues, what what's yeah. happening with education, welfare, NHS, nothing's happening yeah. because all they're doing is going back and so forth. And until we know what this is going to entail, it's difficult, you know, to plan for anything else. Yeah, absolutely. Um, people are bored of Brexit, and people want to talk about something else. Quite frankly, I mean, I am. I'm bored of Brexit and, and I work in politics. I've been bored of Brexit for a yeah. long time. Um, you know, do, do, does it mean that I would accept a deal like Johnson's just to make it stop? I don't think I'm at, no. that, I don't think I'm at that level yet. But, you know, all I want to be doing is talking to people about the NHS and, and schools and, you know, our vision, particularly for housing, um, which, which I'm really, yeah. really excited about. But, you know, it's really difficult to kind of drag it away from this Brexit debate, which is... Really demoralising at times, I think. One of the reasons I really dislike this whole time, and I understand why it happened the gridlock in Parliament. Yeah. But I feel like the election needed to happen after Brexit. Mm. And I potentially think was you know, I don't know, obviously if Johnson gets his majority then what well this is what bothers me is he's gonna push his Brexit deal through. Yeah. Get that done. What when what's he gonna do? Because I don't know anything else he stands for well, no. I don't everything else he stands for along with that terrifies me. And I actually think there's a lot of people that are gonna vote for him on Brexit that he that everything else he stands for is going to be disastrous for those people. Yeah, I mean, it, the work he he quite clearly has no time at all for the working class, and yeah, that's probably what's going to get him into power if yeah. he gets in. It'll be the working class Brexit. Yeah, arguably the Northern vote. You know, he, he's potentially going to lose a lot of traditional Southern Conservative vote. Yeah, but pick up in the North, and yeah. hopefully, as we say. There is a bit of a tent now that things do seem to be focusing a bit on other things. Then maybe people will start to revert back to, you know, it's a big going to be. There's a lot of Labour lifelong supporters that have 
sort of, you've seen them saying, I'll oh, vote Conservative because of Brexit. As polling day gets nearer, I'm hopeful that that aversion to that might start yeah. to... But it's worrying because we're not... We This country goes on beyond Brexit. Everything, yeah. there's all these other issues. What happens What happens to the welfare system under a Johnson majority government? Yeah. What happens to the, what happens to the NHS despite... He talks, they were all these promises the NHS is not for sale, but then you've got Donald Trump over there saying, no, everything's on the table if you want to deal with me. Yeah. Granted, with any luck, he'll be locked up and gone. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's really interesting because I don't blame people for forgetting because we've had elections pretty much every year yeah. for the last four, but I think that's what's made people slightly less um, cognizant of the fact that if, Bonson, if Bonson, Boris Johnson does get his majority then there won't be another... He will have his five years, you know? Yeah. And I think after Brexit, I think he will be a lame duck domestically. He has he has nothing to offer ordinary people. And I think as the years go on, he'll be exposed. But what I don't want to see is people suffering over those years. Yeah, it's a long... It's a very long time for British politics at the moment. It's a long time for people to imagine because we have elections every year and there's and there's such chaos at the moment. But... You know, a majority is stability, and a majority is five years in office. Yeah, and that's a long time to see your situation get worse. Yeah. You know, five years might seem quick in on a general scheme, but when you're battling through day by day, that's a long, well, a week's a long time. Yeah. Well, a day's a long time if you're not sure where, whether you're going to be able to afford heating or... Yeah. Um, obviously, unsurprisingly, this has been... We've, we've gone, obviously, a lot in on our issues with... Johnson and the Tory party. Yeah. Um, um, I think we're both quite supportive of the manifesto Labour put forward. But there is a question to be asked, I think, over why Corbyn has struggled so much to win support. And I do, I mean, I'm a Corbyn supporter still, but I do think he arguably hid his head a little bit too long in the Brexit debate. And I understand the struggle Labour have more than any other party in terms of split and himself, because he's well known as being for being Eurosceptic. Yeah. But it felt like almost for quite a long time he went into hiding almost on it. And mm. I think that's been a problem for the Labour Party. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's it's, it's such a difficult thing to judge. Um that strategy worked perfectly in twenty seventeen. Yes. For example, you know, that that's that's what won Labour seats. You know, they they were winning seats like Warwick and Leamington. And that place sixty percent voted to remain. It was a conservative seat, you know, they overturned, you know, a four figure majority. And they, and they won that seat. At the same time, they won Peterborough, which yeah. voted sixty one. They, they they were literally bringing constituencies together which had very little in common. You know, which is what you need to do to be able to form a government. Yeah. Essentially, but as as time's gone on, that strategy has become a lot less effective. He's been getting more flack for it. I think it was necessary up to a point, and then you you, you really had to try and pick a side. And I, I, don't, I don't think he's I, well. Actually, that being said, you know, he's. I think the strategy of um, him as prime minister being neutral in the second referendum is an incredibly positive thing. I think it has precedent. As well, obviously, that's what Wilson did in the in the nineteen seventies. Yeah. Um, and I think if you just look at how David Cameron pumped so much taxpayer money and energy into campaigning for Remain, I think that is a prime example of how not to do a referendum as prime minister. Yeah, you know, don't get involved. 
and then abide by what the people decide. I think that's a very mature thing to do, a very responsible thing to do to end a deadlock instead of taking a line on this yeah. and batting for Remain or batting for his hypothetical Labour deal. Well, yeah, I mean, this is it. You, if he brings the deal forward, he cannot not then, he, he cannot campaign against his own deal. No. That's, that would just look ridiculous. But then he's also going to be in trouble if he campaigns against Remain. Yeah. And I, I, I agree, I, I think he's taking the right stance. I think the problem is, why is he only said he's taken this stance two weeks before the election? Yeah. Monday night, <laughs> I thought he did quite well on Monday night, but I was cringing at the beginning the because so. he just could not answer yeah. that question. Why well, didn't he have that answer on Monday? Well, I mean, yeah, I, th- why, I, th- I think I think they've been forced into making a decision I've because they, this, they were copying loads of flack for it. But I, I think they should have made that decision weeks ago. They should, the and man- I think it should have been in the manifesto. Yeah, um, the, the, the moment that Labour finally came, and I think it arguably took them a long time to support a second referendum, which I think the problem there is, this Labour movement, Corbyn, McDonnell and Abbott and that, has been built on this idea of this is the movement of the membership. You yeah. know? And that was always the thing. You know, he's got PLP people against him. But the membership, he was the representing the membership. But then the membership have been saying for a long time they wanted to support a second referendum. Yeah. And it took them far too long to support the membership there, which is which causes problems. And that's I think that's the problem. He may not necessarily have agreed with it, but he's built his thing on I'm going. He's always taught, it was always about I'm representing new people that have been forgotten. Yeah. You're the membership, and they should have supported. And the moment they supported that second referendum, that's and that was always we'll go we'll negotiate a deal a much you know a deal that's for workers, for rights, um, the, the, in theory free movement. Although that's been taken out of the manifesto apparently, and he's going to be up for negotiation, which I don't agree with. I think free movement should be. A, Key. Well, yeah, cool. I mean, I mean, if, if if we do leave, then obviously freedom of movement ends. So whether we retain it will be subject to mm. nego- negotiation. But um, I think they should at least have been saying that their aim will be to. I, th- I think they did in very thinly veiled terms. Yeah. They kind of said, "We think it's a very positive thing," yeah, and that will reflect in our negotiation. You know, it was kind of yeah, kind of ne- neither here nor there. It just but. it felt a little bit like it was written to keep on board certain kind of electorate maybe <laughs> well no I, I, but, absolutely and that's something which you know i guess you yeah have to. but yeah um but then at the most part they've been quite happy to come forward and say things whether they think they'll be popular or not if they think they're the right thing yeah. i just think that the mo- once they back that second referendum and the aim was always said that it would be our deal or remain on yeah. the thing then that corbyn's position should have been in place then, yeah, and he would have had plenty of time. And by now, they won't. That question wouldn't be being. Of course, the Tories would have been using the all these two scared topic aside on yeah. him. But I think, on the general, most people have said that's a fair position. Yeah. Instead, on Monday night, particularly, it looked like he didn't know what he wanted to do or didn't want to admit what he wanted to do. Yeah. Friday night, obviously, I guess. Probably because an, of Monday night, someone has, has said made, yeah. you have got to have an answer because that is going to be the first thing you get asked. If you can't answer that, that's going to derail. Everything. And it didn't. It made. I just. I just feel like why are we? Why are we yeah. only getting this now? And I think that's become an issue in terms of a lot of things that he 
maybe he's been trying to be too conciliatory to people, but he has. There's been an element of keeping his head down on things and not. I mean, the anti-Semitism issue, for example, which I don't want to go too much into because I'm not. Obviously, it's not. Doesn't affect me on a personal level, but it's clearly been an issue. It's clearly put worried but people you know Jewish people are worried about it whether you whatever your feelings on how much of it is a smear or justified anger or being used by certain elements to push an agenda you can't ignore that it has had an an impact and it has got people in the Jewish community worried I don't think you can ignore that and again it felt like Corbyn didn't get involved enough in it Mm. early on yeah, with, with with regards to the kind of Brexit strategy, obviously I think the kind of neutral negotiation should should have been in the manifesto. We should have been saying yeah. it from day dot. I think from from a selfish point of view, um, with regards to the Peterborough by election, I'm glad they waited until afterwards to announce <laughs> a second referendum policy because, because that that on on a majority of six hundred that would have been quite dangerous. Um, from a strategic point of view, I think they left it way too late. You know, yeah, I think I think I understand why they did it, and I understand the reasoning behind it. And some people could make a very coherent argument to say, no, we should have left it until this time. It's really important that we did Peterborough as as, as a perfect case study for that, the Peterborough by election. But you know, you can also make the argument that if you sit on the fence for too long, everybody else knows the same. You know, um, well, yeah, and it be, that has become the thing, hasn't it? The fence sitter has become almost a. a Stick to beat yeah. him with, and I, I think with with regards to anti-Semitism, you know, it's 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 a very real issue in the Labour Party and in wider society, um, and it's 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 just one of these things which is abhorrent, unjustifiable, and needs a very serious and robust response. And I think the kind of party apparatus has been far more um, far more quick to respond to these complaints and allegations, which is a very good start. Um, I think momentum have put put on some kind of education classes regarding smears and and kind of loaded language and yeah. tropes, which some people on the left, particularly those kind of older generations who've always used that kind of language, you know, they they can be kind of told this is the context of why it's said, this is why, you know, many class it as an anti-Semitic trope. So I think the party itself are doing a lot on it. Um, and, and I just hope that more progress is made in that regard, really. Yeah, I, yeah, and it's definitely, like you say, it's definitely improved, but it did, again, it was one of those things where it felt like it took Corbyn too long to react to it. Mm. And obviously, and I, it's, obviously it's difficult, and obviously there's been the things of his past associations and things been thrown in him, which I think a lot of this, part of the problem is because, you know, I don't think Corbyn ever thought he was going to be a leader no. of the Labour Party, yeah. <laughs> but it, you can't ignore it. You've, you know, whatever, whatever you think, and and like you say, it's there is an issue, and I, you've you've seen it, and it has it does get used as a a sort of trope, you know, Jewish money and things like that on the left. Mm. Like you say, it's a lot of the time because they're they're ignorant of the history behind that kind yeah. of attitude. But it clearly has become a con- it's clearly a concern within the Jewish community. Yeah, understandably, and that is why you can't just. And I don't think it helps anyone when people are just going. It's a smear. 
Yeah, no, there no, is I, I, no, I, I think that's wrong. Yeah, there I is mean. no doubt that people have ran and picked up on it because it isn't just in the Labour Party. It's uh, a Tory know. candidate was suspended. Yeah, I think days I think ago, two two Tory yeah. candidates have already been suspended for it in the last kind of four hours. You can't so. just go. You can't go. Yo, well, it's not just us. Yeah, because that's what else would they call it. No. But and I think Corbyn handled that well the other day when he said it was a barren. But he also put it as is all racism, and it's interesting yeah. that that's getting a lot of attention while the rampant um, Islamophobia within mm. you know their own prime minister yeah. is. He was able to almost laugh that off last night. Yeah, and no, I think I think you know th- there is a real opportunity for Corbyn to show real leadership here in the form of tackling racism of all yeah. of all kinds with with maybe an emphasis on anti-Semitism. Um, a huge opportunity has presented itself with you know. Boris Johnson's previous comments, yeah, um, you know, letterboxes and, and bank robbers and, and, and stuff like that. So so depressing that someone can say that and still possibly be a majority be leader. Be fit for high office. Yeah. You know, People yeah. just vote for him because well, I think he touches into this a still on sort of ingrained element of racism and privilege within society that I don't. While I don't think most people have that, you know outright racist attitude and send them back type of thing we see bits of it but i still think there's a little bit of a we know better attitude mm. and that's what you see when you see this thing about people that try and defend attacking say the burqa because some women in parts of the world are forced to wear it mm. but they don't care about that yeah that's that's it no, and that's i, I, I think I it's I again think, it's our yeah. our way is better yeah. Attitude, I, don't, I, I don't think social justice is on the top of their priority no. list somehow. So. That's just a it just a protection way, isn't it? As yeah. you say, when you say when you see them, you ask someone, some of these people why they voted certain ways, and you can quite clearly see that they're doing everything they can to avoid saying yeah. immigration. Which, okay, well, I'm going to wrap things up shortly. So I just want to end it, and I want to see say because you on your Twitter profile, you you point out that you were one of the few people that called 2017, right? Yeah. So I'm going to put you on the spot now uh, and say, and I think it was probably a lot harder, but yeah. what do you think is going to happen on the 12th of uh, December? As of now, as of today's date, because I think things are going to change really quickly over the next couple of weeks. Um, I think as things stand, it will be a home parliament with the Conservatives being the largest party, as was in 2017. But yeah. I will, you know, I will make an update on my prediction um, on on my Twitter profile in in the weeks leading. So that that's not cast iron. Cool. So don't put your money on it. I hope you're <laughs> right because at the minute my my feeling is that Johnson's going to get a majority. Yeah. Depressingly, and I don't, I depressingly don't think that last night's thing will make any impact on it. Mm. I don't think people care yeah. anymore. I think it says more about my feelings <laughs> towards. Um, the general electorate, yeah. but I think that's not their fault. I think a large of that is yeah. put forward by the media. And even if I don't get this prediction right, I will bask in the glory of, of predicting the twenty seventeen. Yes, correctly. yeah, you won't I, be I think, changing your Twitter was... header. No, 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 not at all. I think I, I remember vividly actually when the election got called. I um I went across to the BBC studios in Nottingham to to do an interview. Yeah, I um, so. and and I said there, you know, I mean by then the poll gap was maybe twenty 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 you know, 22, 24 points. And I said, mark my words, this will be way, way closer than people expect. Straight after that interview, I walked into the bookies and put 20 quid on a home parliament at 10 oh, to you, one. Go, you know, so let's, let's keep our fingers crossed, sit tight, 
I, I hope I'm right again. I, hope you are. I mean, I, I, to be perfect on until the moment the exit pool came in on that night, I still thought the toys were going to get a majority in the last one. I mean, I never been so excited about a party not winning an election, yeah, which yeah, is no. weird. It's bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> So a big thank you there, Matt, who was extremely busy and took time out. We met up at sort of nine o'clock on a Saturday morning. So that was a very early recording. Uh, thanks again for Sobar for letting us get in there at that time of day. Uh, they're very busy on a Saturday, so it was great that they were able to fit us in. As ever, check out Cafe Sobar on Fry Lane. Brilliant cafe, fantastic stuff to do. And also, of course, they support the brilliant Double Impact. Uh, again, thanks to Matt for joining us. It was a fascinating look into the sort of world of politics and how he got involved in that. Again, please make sure you vote on Thursday. Get down to your, your, your polling stations. Exercise your right to vote. This is arguably the most important uh, election of a generation, although the way things have been going, as we said in the show, would be in no surprise to see another one in the next couple of years. And uh, obviously the outcome of this election has got a massive impact on what happens in regards to Brexit, the NHS, uh, welfare, education and everything. So um, do vote. Let us know what you think of this episode and let us know what you think of the show and who you'd like, should like to hear on the show. Next week's episode is uh, a very interesting one. As you may have seen in the news recently... Attenborough Nature Reserve have launched a campaign to uh, raise funds in order to purchase the land of the reserve. The uh, Nottinghamshire Wildlife Trust, who own the centre there, the brilliant centre there, don't actually own the land. That's owned by a an aggregates company, as we talked about in the episode. But there's an agreement reached between the Wildlife Trust and the company uh, to enable the trust to purchase the land, which opens up so many doors and obviously protects that land. The campaign, which is backed by many big figures, including, of course, uh, Sir David Attenborough, has looking to raise a million pounds by uh, in order to, to fund this and support it moving forward. The campaign's got off to a great start. As I'm recording this, I've seen today news that they've received a huge uh, boost of like three quarters of a million from a funding source, which obviously is a huge step towards that, but keep supporting it. Uh, as someone that lives has lived in Nottinghamshire all their life and actually lives sort of 10 minutes walk from the nature reserve and cycles almost, pretty much through it almost every day, I'm a huge fan of it. I think we're so lucky to have something like that in the middle of such a big town. It's such a haven for wildlife. It's such a great place to get away, and it's hugely important that we protect places like that um, not only for our own enjoyment and to get away, but also for the educational offer, you know, the educational resources it offers. So it was great. I sat down with uh, Erin McDade from Nottinghamshire Wildlife Trust to have a chat about the campaign. So that's going to be next week's show. So please do check that one out. And uh, I know the way, it's not the necessarily the ideal weather for it, but if you feel up to it, do get down to Attenborough Nature Reserve. It'd be a great way, especially with the, you know, the chaos of Christmas coming up. Uh, 
So thanks again for listening. As ever, you can find all of our shows at uh, ngdigital.podbean.com. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us on Spotify, Podcast Addict, pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts from. You can follow us on Twitter at ngdigitaluk and you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash ngdigital. Thanks again for listening. Make sure you vote and please tune in next week as we meet um, Erin McDade from Nottinghamshire Wildlife Trust to talk about Attenborough Nature Reserve. Goodbye.